And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves a hundred-dollar bottle of wine. Well, hiya, folks. That number shocked me, too. Hundred-dollar bottle. I'll tell you about it later. And, uh, boy, it's a happy day here and a beautiful day here on Milleronia. And I'm glad you're tuned in. That was, of course, the Max McGee Orchestra and... The Flora Tapia Dancers, featuring boy tenor William Lucking, asking the musical question, On kids' diapers, does the number mean how many days they can wear them or how many pounds they can hold? Well, first of all, it's a good question. Heck of a question. Uh, I'm guessing you're you're not a father yet at this point, but it's a good question for all that. Now, does on the kids' diapers does the number mean how many days they can wear them or how many pounds they can hold? Neither. It means how many days the guy and his wife were married on their honeymoon before she got pregnant. And uh, yes, that was saying pregnant. That's not it. It it happens. Our neighbors when I was growing up, they got uh, his wife got pregnant on their honeymoon. And for some reason, I guess people just think, well, it's official. It's all solid now. Let's let's just jump into bed and do whatever we feel like doing. And, uh, whew, I don't know about you, but I'm going to turn the air on now. But you know what? The, the, the people do that, and uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure why. Then I suppose they're really surprised and shocked actually, when his wife says, well, guess what? The honeymoon is ending, but something else is just beginning. And, uh, boy, I know what you mean, though. The truth is, William, I know what you mean. On kids' diapers, we went through so many. And what does that number mean? I I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you and your wife are going to go out tonight for dinner. And uh, we had in our local Ralph's supermarket, which is the big brand name of uh, markets here in our area. They're not a sponsor, but I'm happy to say Ralph's. And uh, they used to have, we were only stumped by them a few times over the years of the kids and all their diapers. And uh, But I never, by the way, for the record, I never minded that. People always say, ooh, diapers, I wouldn't want to clean that. Well, why not? I I never understood the point of that. I I I liked it a lot because first of all, thank God it means your kids are healthy, okay? Because that's the last step in the food chain. Is it still fair to call it a food chain when it's something of a chain but there's no food? And uh you know what? Yeah, I mean, you really are I I was so grateful and I was a good cleaner too. I didn't know. Once I learned how to do something, I, I, I really never changed. I, I never uh, 
I never learned anything much. For our first kid, who is now a, a, a Marine, and uh, for our first kid, I took him when uh, our second kid was born and my wife was staying home with him, and we were all invited out to Kiowa Island. I think that's K-I-A-W-A-H. Kiowa Island, which is, I, if I remember correctly, off of South Carolina, and... It's an island there, and people play golf there, and it gets really hot. And then, uh, oh, they get a hurricane about every 40 minutes, and it kills everyone. No, it doesn't. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And my friends, the Hamiltons, and uh, their kids, they had three at that point. They ultimately had four girls, and their nephew, Russell, was staying there. He... Also, God bless him, was a Marine, and he was killed in a flight uh, on a helicopter. He was a helicopter pilot. In any case, uh, the point is, boy, you know, I I took uh, uh, my older boy there, who was at the time three years old, and the second one had just been born. And I'll tell you, I knew we were going to go down to the beach, and he liked beaches, and uh, so I was going to put the, uh, as my wife instructed me, make sure you get them sunscreened. Now, I didn't know exactly how to do sunscreen, but how hard could it be, I figured. And, uh, well, not hard, but it took me almost an hour. I swabbed him everywhere. And he's still a good kid, but God bless him. He was just, he would just stand there. We were in their living room. And they were ready to go down to the beach, which was down a stairs and across a little oh, scrub thing with the weeds on it or something. And it was a nice place, by the way, that they rented a house there. And uh, so it took me almost an hour. I mean, like 53 minutes. And I got him. All, and then he, we put the hat on. There is still a, a photo of this on uh, in our hallway near, near the living room. And uh, back on the mainland. And you know what, though? He didn't complain at all. But when, he, when we finally got down to the ocean, there was so, was so much. He just saw the ocean. He'd never seen the, an ocean before. And he said, not today, thank you. And uh, in three-year-old language. And he didn't, uh, you know, want to go in there. It was warm and everything. It would look beautiful to, to me. But, well, I wasn't three years old. So anyway... He said, no, thank you, and I just uh, turned around. Great. You know, I I turned around and walked him back up the stairs and picked him up, and, well, I just loved him no matter what he did. And uh, so, you know what? With kids, you never know what they're going to take. And, uh, well, William, on kids' diapers, the number two, I mean, how many days they can wear them, how, how many pounds they can hold. If I remember correctly, and I do... Uh, I, I believe it just means, yeah, what what size it is. Number one is the smallest size, and I think number six is the biggest size. And uh, then they have, I guess, a special section for people in their 50s. But you know what? That's, that's part of life, too. And uh, so good question, William. Does the number mean how many they can wear them, how many days, or how many pounds they can hold? Well, some parents aren't very good parents, and they'll leave them on, you know. But uh, we were, I think, terrific parents in that regard. We tried our best in everything, and 
When I changed that diaper, I tossed it and tied it and disposed of it exactly perfectly. And that child was clean and dusted, cleaned and creamed and whatever was supposed to go on there. And I got them in a new diaper. I got them in new diapers and then uh, dressed them up. And I would set them down. That's a good feeling, by the way. When you set that child back down on the rug and that child knows he's solid as a rock. He's all right. And you can do this, the old clapping the hands on the... I've done my job. So, uh, thanks, thanks, William. And by the way, the Max McGee Orchestra. It's really worth mentioning that good name because Max McGee was a professional football player for, for the Green Bay Packers. And he was, in fact, the first football player to score a touchdown. He scored the first touchdown in the first Super Bowl in 1967. And uh, that, he was never shy about telling the story behind it, which was that he didn't think he was going to play. He was really at the end of his career anyway, and he was proud to be there with the Packers at the first Super Bowl, but he knew he wasn't going to play. He was uh, someone else. He was a tight end and a wide receiver, I believe, and uh, really any position that involved that. And sure enough, don't you believe, he got, well, that was in Los Angeles, and he went out with some uh, friends and a couple of football folks the night before the Super Bowl because he's, he's not going to play. And uh, they they were out late, very late, all night late. And they drank like very few people can drink who are not big, tough football players. He was out all night and he drank all night and he said, all right, what the heck? You know what? I'm proud to be. I'm going to be there right on the on the sidelines, on the bench, and uh, I'll get dressed up. But he did. He got dressed. And sure enough, right away in the game, the guy who replaced him got injured. And the great Vince Lombardi immediately screamed out, McGee, you're in. And he he was so thrown by it, he said, what? And Lombardi just said again, McGee, get in. And he stood up and he, and he just looked around. He didn't even have his helmet with him. Okay, and he just looked down, grabbed a helmet, of a lineman and just ran into the game. It was one of those helmets that, well, had two different windows and five different gratings, and he played and in that uh, lineman's helmet, and you know something? He played the best game of his career, and he did so many things, even though he hadn't slept, and never mind, the colonel uh, was just saying, he was, you know, he was hung over from the night before, and I said, hung over nothing, he was still in the night before. He hadn't slept. He just came to the game, well, three sheets to the wind, which is a more poetic and polite way of saying loaded. But he did, He folks, he played a great game and, uh, and caught that first pass for the first touchdown, and it was a real acrobatic, one hand, body twisted, you know, behind her, grabs it, oh, over here, over there, catches it. So the first touchdown, and then I said to Colonel Jeff, you know, 
That means I saw him do it. Because I was just a kid, but my daddy and I, and my mom, and my sister too. I don't think they stayed long in the game there watching it, but we watched it in the, in the den. It was a big thing, the Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl. I think that's still a great name, the Super Bowl. We all call it the Super Bowl, but you know what? It's I think it's a terrific name. And at any rate, I saw Max McGee do that then. So good for you, Max. God bless you. Boy, that was something. And by Amazon and PayPal and my book. That's right. I'm proud to say all these things because, first of all, Amazon is my favorite company in the world because they do three things no one else does. Number one, whatever you want, they can get. Whatever you can dream up, whatever you can think of, they can get. Number two, they already have it. They don't have to get it. They have the biggest warehouses you've ever seen since Indiana Jones days, where they they have every product for a mile that way and a mile that way and a mile that way. And only half a mile the other way. But no, one of those huge, huge places, they already have it. And number three, they send a percentage of whatever you order to me, to us here at the show. And uh, we're very proud of that. We use that money and we're saving it up again for our next big fancy fried chicken dinner. And you know what, folks? I'll tell you about that one, too. Next time we invite, maybe, maybe... Dr. Chris to come along with us. So, you know what? Amazon is a great place to be. Go to Amazon. No, don't. Come to us. Go to us on our website. Was that right? Really? Website. I got it. I guessed it. I know it shouldn't be a guess, but I did. (laughs) Thank you. Sounds like I get a gold star. But in any case, you know what? I'm proud of that. You go to our website. LarryMillerPodcast.com Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. (laughs) Boy, that's a good one, by the way. I like that one. (laughs) I don't think those fellas would have been sent into the Super Bowl by Vince Lombardi. But Max McGee, God bless him, sure was. And you know what, though? You go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com, and we have a banner that says Amazon on it. You click that banner, our banner, and we will take you to Amazon. You can click that banner and go back to sleep. You can can lay yourself down in your big, beautiful easy chair and put a magazine over your face and go back to sleep. And we will get you there. It doesn't matter if the middle, it's the middle of the night. We don't care. Colonel Jeff and I will wake up. We have a special alarm set when someone needs to go to Amazon. And we'll get you there. So thanks, fellas. And that means we'll get another big percentage to save for, yes, our next big fancy fried chicken dinner. With two drinks beforehand at a different place. And by PayPal. That's right, PayPal, a terrific group. So, for instance, if you enjoy the show here, and why wouldn't you? And if you'd like to send us a few bucks to help out, and why wouldn't you? You can do it through PayPal. But I don't like, instead of, you know, the saying, donate this or pay what you like, I like to say, 
buy us some drinks. That's right. That's a that's a real bonded way to say it. So that's a real brotherly way to say it. And because there are different drinking levels, levels one through five, all the way up to we're driving to Florida. Boy, I like that. I just, well, memory is a great thing anyway. And I still love that that piece in my act, the five levels of drinking. But you, you know what, folks? It just suddenly made me realize maybe I performed that one in Florida at the time. Maybe so. Hey, we're driving to Florida. Ah! And they're all thinking, well, that's just around the block. We are the block. In any case, though, I'm I'm proud. Look for the PayPal banner also on our website, which is remember LarryMillerPodcast dot com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> Boy, today I don't know why, but it sounds especially like I should say no. Excuse me. After that sound, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have had the fish. In any case, <laughs> we thank you in advance because every little bit you send helps us keep the old leg lamp lit. And thank you to everyone who's contributed already. It makes a difference and it makes us smile and say a sincere thank you. And by me. That's right. Signed hardcover copies of my book, Spoiled Rotten America are now for sale at store.comedyfilmnerds.com. And uh, you notice I don't fool around saying the name of that. I love my book. I always spend a lot of time writing it. It's as funny as I could get. And uh, boy, I'm, I'm very proud of the book. It did really well in sales. And it is now, well, signed hardcover copies at store.comedyfilmnerds.com. Dot com. Pick one up for yourself, and I think you'll laugh a lot. And speaking of laughing a lot, it's time for my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. And that one puzzled me today. It, made, it makes me laugh. The bongo drums, I think, got into the land of what in the world? But uh, I love telling... All sorts of jokes, not only in my act, but I love these jokes especially because there's nothing quite like a joke that everyone can share. Hey, two guys walk into a bar, you know, just a joke, joke, joke. And uh, Colonel Jeff and I like this one, and I hope you do too. There's a 65-year-old rabbi in New York and his congregation loves him so much. He's been the rabbi there, for goodness sake. He's been the rabbi there for 35 years. And he's beloved by all the people. And they decide the whole congregation chips in. And they decide to give him, well, folks, a trip to Hawaii. His family is gone now. The kids are gone. His wife has passed on. And you know what? They're going to send him on a first-class trip, a first-class flight, and right to a beautiful first-class hotel in Hawaii. He gets there, he goes in, and they got him a, quite a suite. And he goes in, 
and he's looking around and they then he looks at the bed and he he's almost shocked because he sees on the bed laying down lying down on the bed is a beautiful young native girl and she's naked and he doesn't quite know what to say and she just leans up and says rabbi don't be afraid I'm a little extra gift given by your congregation and everyone in it, by the executive committee and by the president of the congregation, and I'm here for you. And he blinks a couple of times and just walks over to the phone and picks up the phone and immediately dials back to his temple. And uh, he gets three of the, well, big officers on the lines. He said, I am outraged, frankly, that you do this, something like this, that you put me in a place where I'll be named for having someone like this, like maybe word gets out about this, like maybe you thought I needed something or that I needed some help. I'm outraged. And they said, but Rabbi, but, but he said, I'm outraged and I never want you to do that again. And he slam and he pounds the phone down and the girl, the naked girl, the naked Native girl, well, she gets up off the bed and she starts grabbing her clothes and he turns to her and says, where are you going? I'm not angry with you. <laughs> That's a pretty good one, isn't it? Oh, well, I thought you meant, well, you thought wrong. Why don't you just uh, lay yourself back down there and we'll do the springtime fertility dance. <laughs> anyway, we thought that was a good one, and I hope you do too, and pass that along. That's also a shaggy dog story, which means you can tell it any way you like, that, well, this happened in his, in his, in his temple, and he was so loved because of this, and he was so respected for all these years, and, uh, and then he meets the beautiful native naked girl. But uh, that's a pretty good joke. I hope you liked it, too. And now that brings us to my second favorite part of the show, The Poetry Corner. I could be wrong, but I think that's the same cough the rabbi had after his first hour with the native girl. Probably. Probably for you two folks, but not us. <laughs> this is a lovely poem by Francis Ellen Watkins Harper, and it's called Bury Me in a Free Land, and it's very lovely. I hope you like it. Make me a grave where'er you will. In a lowly plain or a lofty hill, make it among earth's humblest graves, but not in a land where men are slaves. I could not rest if around my grave I heard the steps of a trembling slave. His shadow above my silent tomb would make it a place of fearful gloom. I could not rest if I heard the tread of a coffle gang to the shambles led, and the mother's shriek of wild despair 
rise like a curse on the trembling air. I could not sleep if I saw the lash, drinking her blood at each fearful gash, and I saw her babes torn from her breast like trembling doves from their parents' nest. I'd shudder and start if I heard the bay of bloodhounds seizing their human prey, and I heard the captive plead in vain as they bound afresh his galling chain. If I saw young girls from their mother's arms bartered and sold for their youthful charms, my eye would flash with a mournful flame, my death-paled cheek grow red with shame. I would sleep, dear friends, where bloated might can rob no man of his dearest right. My rest shall be calm in any grave where none can call his brother a slave. I ask no monument proud and high to arrest the gaze of the passers-by. All that my yearning spirit craves is bury me not in a land of slaves. Isn't that nice? That's a great use of words. Very, very lovely. And very touching, very meaningful. And uh, by the way, Francis Ellen Watkins Harper was born in uh, 1825 and uh, lived till 1911. She was born in Baltimore, died in Philadelphia, and uh, she was an abolitionist and a poet and author and teacher, also a supporter of prohibition and women's suffrage and of other things else. She was a big, tall, strong black woman. She refused to give up her seat on a trolley car in Philadelphia in 1858. And that was not an easy thing to do anywhere in 1858. But uh, Francis Ellen... Watkins Harper, thank you for that beautiful poem. And folks, if you like it, read it to someone in your family or someone you love or a good friend. And that brings me to the third favorite part of my show. MMM, the magic movie moment. Still ending with my favorite piano note. And uh, this is a great movie, folks. I hope you think the same thing. I hope you like it. But if you haven't, please see it. It's called Bad Day at Black Rock, made in 1955. Boy, oh boy, what a movie this is. Directed by John Sturgis. And what a cast. Spencer Tracy, Robert Ryan, Anne Francis, Dean Jagger, whom I've worked with, by the way, and the great Walter Brennan. Good Lord, he was always so good. <laughs> John Erickson and Ernest Borgnine. Almost no one was as good as Ernest Borgnine. What a great actor and a great man. And Lee Marvin, Russell Collins, Walter Sand, Billy Dix, and Francis 
McDonald. It's a it's a great cast, and you know something? What a great story! Good Lord, this one armed veteran just uh, gets off a small town train, where and uh, where activists live, where he tries to visit an Asian American war hero's family, and this movie takes place in. 1945. It takes place right after the war, and he gets off this train in a small town in Arizona in the middle of a brushy area, in the middle of a desert, and it's wonderful what goes on. He's uh, Well, he's uh, an, a wounded veteran himself, Spencer Tracy. He's a one-armed man, and everyone he tries to get help from there Everyone is very suspicious of him. They don't like him coming there at all. This is a very small place. And boy, oh boy, Robert Ryan is such a great actor in everything, too. And he leads the group of bad men. No one was a better good man than Ernest Borgnine, but boy, he was great also at playing bad men. And he plays Coley Trimble in this. He's a bad man. They all are. And you know something, folks? There are great... Spencer Tracy stands up for himself. He doesn't get backed down by anything in this part. Anything in this movie. He plays John J. McCready. And he really holds himself to the best, highest standards. You, you, you're going to love seeing him if you haven't seen this before. And you'll love, you'll love if you've seen it before and you're seeing it again. And he really holds the flag up, so to speak. And he doesn't take anything from these bad men. And they get more and more worried because he's going to run into something. Well, what's he going to run into? Well, what about this Japanese family? Where did they used to live? Because their son was killed in World War II on our side. And he came to bring the medal. The son was awarded and he came to give it to the boy's family. And he can't find them either. And he goes out into the desert and there's the remnants of a shack standing there. And there are some wildflowers growing. And this is in the middle of a desert. So wildflowers growing, he knows, means something is probably buried there. And folks, it gets worse and worse and worse. But he doesn't give in to anything. And he is not moved and he is not afraid. And even when they get tougher and tougher, even when Lee Marvin challenges him, and then Ernest Borgnine challenges him in a little bar and a small restaurant, and he just prods him into a fight. It's such a great scene that, he, that, that Ernest Borgnine just literally and figuratively pokes him into a fight. And what happens in that fight? Because remember, Spencer Tracy... Only had one arm in this movie, but it was all he needed. And you know what, folks? People talk themselves into anything, even when they're scared and even when they commit crimes. If they band together, as these people in this small town did, they can talk themselves into anything, even when they know they're wrong, even when you know they're wrong, watching the movie. And the magic movie moment for me was each character, one here, one there, starts to get worried 
but really wants the truth to come out after all. And the great Anne Francis, who in addition to being a great actress, is just gorgeous. And it's her brother who's the leader of the bad guys. And she's part of the guilt, too, in a smaller way. But they're all part of it. And what they did was they hated what they called, in those days, 1945, remember, and uh, they called them they called them Japs. They called, well, are you a Jap lover? Are you here to, to look for this family? And folks, in really the climax of the movie, Anne Francis is taking Spencer Tracy to another town, another train station. She's driving him in her Jeep, a World War II Jeep. But she doesn't drive him there. She takes him back to that desert shack, to that area there, and Spencer Tracy knows something's wrong. And you know what? Her brother, the head bad guy, is there, and his men are with him. And they don't mean well for Spencer Tracy at all. And that was part of the plan, to have Anne Francis drive him out there. And as she says, well, she thought they were just going to scare him or run him off, even though she was going to take him to the other train. And uh, But that wasn't their plan at all. They wanted to be done with this. And for them, done with it means killing Spencer Tracy and burying him out there with no wildflowers and no care for them. And folks, Anne Francis is shot by her own brother when she's complaining and sorry about this and the lights are bright at that night and you know what that to me is a magic movie moment when this young woman finally realizes how bad the things they all did were and how much they'll have to atone for it now or on the other side and you know what? Robert Ryan, again, is great. But even he begins to show that he's just scared. They're all just scared. They all followed him, but they're scared for themselves. And they're up against this veteran, this tough man, Spencer Tracy, who lost his arm in battle. And Spencer Tracy is there to bring a medal to a family of a brave soldier, a brave young man, a Japanese young man, a Japanese-American, and they who was a better man than anyone in that town. And folks, I won't reveal anything or spoil anything, but it works out to the good. And Spencer Tracy is now going to leave in the daylight on the next train, and all of this has happened. And, well, a lot of bad guys met their end that night before. And the town doctor steps up to Spencer Tracy on the platform next to the train, just before he gets on, and he says, May I see that medal that was there for the, for the young soldier? And Tracy takes it out and opens the case and shows it to him. And the doctor says, would it be all right if 
the town kept that medal in his name. And it's a very touching moment. And Spencer Tracy is very glad to hear it. And you know what, folks? Bad Day at Black Rock is a wonderful movie with a great cast and headed by maybe the best actor of all time, Spencer Tracy. But I've said this before about all sorts of magic movie moment movies. You know what, folks? If you haven't seen it, see it. If you have seen it, see it again. It's a good lesson for everyone who leaves that theater after seeing that movie. And uh, thanks. Please let us know on our website. If you see that again, please send us a note saying, you know what? You were right. I saw Bad Day at Black Rock, and it was very moving for me, too. And uh, so, yeah, we have, uh, well, you know, the big news uh, after the Iowa caucus. But uh, you know what the truth is? We have lots to talk about. We have so much to talk about, right? No. Wrong. Here's the news for you. We have nothing to talk about. Now, I've never talked. I don't think I've ever talked about anything political anyway. And it just doesn't interest me, even if it does. It's nothing worth nothing worth talking about on a good show like this. We're here to talk about ourselves, our lives, our homes, our work, our country. And uh, so you know what? If you have something still to say, good Lord, we just had that Iowa caucus finally. And you, have, you haven't had enough? Have you not had enough? Trust me, you've had enough. You have something more to say? Save it for the office. And in fact... You should forget about it there, too, because it finally I used to think the news business was a fun thing to get into. And I thought maybe I could do that kind of work, too. I I think I was wrong. I respect a lot of folks in it, I suppose. But you know what? There's no end to it. There's no something. There's nothing new about news. The night after something happens, you just keep talking about it the next day, and what's about to happen. I still never knew with all of what they're doing. Good Lord, they're there for a caucus? A caucus? What caucus? You know, that are they there for, for crying out loud? What is a caucus? Is a caucus primary? It's not a primary. Does it elect representatives to go to the national conventions as Republicans and Democrats? No, it doesn't actually. It, 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 it elects local representatives to go to their county convention and there they will vote themselves into positions to be perhaps nominated to go to the national conventions. Now, if that sounds a little confusing, it should. It's confusing me. It confuses everyone. Why make a caucus? I don't know. And I'm not sure I care. And by the way, I have a theory, I, uh, all goodwill involved, but people with signs are frightening, okay? That's the main thing. If you, if you go to, you see people that listening to a speech being made and they pick up the sign, yay, Ray, they wave the sign, shut up and sit down. You like who's speaking? Fine, congratulations, good for you. Stop waving your sign right in front of the guy's face so the camera crew can't see him. Let him make the speech. And by the way, even every step further they take is a little goofy. 
on either side. Face makeup is frightening. If people do that, I want to say to them, please go home, take a shower. You know what? Watch a movie on a movie channel, for goodness sake. Read a book. Do something. Do a crossword puzzle. Take your shoes off and have your socks up on the coffee table and just relax. I mean, we don't need to plan so much. If you're out to dinner with your wife or your girlfriend, do you spend the whole meal talking about what you're going to do the second you get home in bed? If you do, you're an idiot. The You know what? Making love that night should be like the meal you're having. Just mention it course by course. How's your salad? Good. My, oh, my soup is pretty good, too. You know what? Which is boring also, by the way. My bottom line about politicians, and I, and I hate to put so many down, but I, I'll be honest, folks, I, I don't trust anyone who wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror, and says, maybe I'll lead. Yes, I'll be the leader. And it all starts today with me as the leader who wants to lead. You know what? It's pointless. Worry. Think about memory. Think about the past. Do that instead. Not about what's going to happen in every state. If you go go out with your wife for dinner or your girlfriend, do you spend, you know, if you're not going to spend the whole night talking about yourselves there. Just say to, say to her, well, we had some pretty good meals when we were dating, didn't we? Yes, you did. Talk about that. You know, hey, I think we used to drink more, honey, didn't we? A lot more that cocktails, wine, and... You know, and be brandy afterwards? The answer is yes, by the way. And when I say, you know, God bless her, my wife and I, when we were dating, we would go to a restaurant. And it wasn't fancy places, but they didn't have to be. We weren't fancy people. We didn't have to be either. But we'd go to places for Italian food, say, and cocktails. We had, we'd have two, sometimes three cocktails. And they'd bring out an appetizer, and uh, it didn't have any sun-dried tomatoes on it. But you know what? That's that's a few drinks. We'd have two or three cocktails, and these weren't weak cocktails either. My wife, God bless her, is not shy about drinking. And I like martinis, and, you know, so you have three of those. And then, you know, you pick a bottle of wine for dinner, which is with the appetizer and the main course, and we'd polish off the bottle of wine, too. And then afterwards, with some espresso and and a dessert in, in the middle of the table that you can share, we'd get a brandy, too. So, uh, and, and by the way, the truth is, those were doubles, you know, when they said for the brandy. Would you like a double? The, the answer is, yeah, why not? Why the heck not? And uh, that's when I remembered... I ordered that $100 bottle of wine at the Italian place we used to go to. Memories are a good thing, by the way. They're a good place to live. But I've never done this before. I don't know if you have. I'm not a giant fan of wine anyway, but I had a good day that day, and I got a good job. I think I got a, I got a good part in something. And I went home, and uh, my wife was free. She wasn't still at her work on her shows, and... So I said, you know what, let's go out to, I can't remember the name of the place. It's an Italian place we used to like. She said, good idea. We were there a lot. We were there like 20 times. And I still remember, folks, I don't know how we did this, but 
We sat down and they knew us and we knew them and we had a drink and then another one. I had five martinis. That That is a lot to drink. Five martinis is a lot. There's an old saying about martinis I probably told you before, but one is not enough, two is too many, three is not enough. And that sure is true. So the point is I had five martinis and my wife, God bless her, well, she had several of her drinks too. And these are strong drinks. She'll drink, you know, scotch neat, Uh, two fingers of scotch in a glass and nothing but you. And uh, so when we got to, you know, ordering and I said to her, we're going to, we know what we wanted for an appetizer and for a main course. And I said to her, I leaned over and I said, we're looking at the wine list. And I said, should should we get, a, I saw one, a $100 bottle of wine. I said, is that insane or should should I get that? And she said, go ahead, go get that. We're celebrating this. You got this part or this thing. And uh, you know what I did? I ordered a $100 bottle of wine when even good bottles are 30 or $35 or $25. And you know what, folks? A $100 bottle of wine, and sure enough, the waiter, who knew us, brought it over and opened it up and let it uh, breathe. He let it breathe, which is lucky because we were doing the same thing. And you know what, though? It goes to show you, I don't know if you've ever done anything like this in life, but he poured us glasses and we had our first bite of the main course. And then I lifted my wine glass and toasted my wife and said something nice, you know, that ends in I love you. And uh, we clicked our glasses and I took a sip and you know how the wine was? It was just okay. It was fine. It was, well, I suppose it was a good idea at the time. I thought so, and my wife thought so. But it wasn't very good, folks. It wasn't like you'd take a sip and say, wow, this is good wine. And you know why? I'd already had five martinis for crying out loud. How could I have anything? I could have been eating popcorn, and I would have liked it better. But you know what? We ate it, and we drank it. I said, how's the wine to you? She said, "Eh, it's okay. And we're not, we're not that stiff about things like wine, you know. I, but the truth is, it was just okay. It wasn't pretty good, or good, or very good, or very very good, or terrific, or really really something. Whatever the levels are above that, it was just kind of okay for a hundred dollars. And you know what? Well, I got the. Uh, not much of a complainer, and well, I didn't complain anything. You know, I like these people. I like their restaurant, but boy, I'll tell you what. You know, having that hundred dollar bottle of wine when they brought the check, it was on that check. It was pretty good on that check too. Actually, the price on that check was very good. The wine itself was just okay. So, in any case, you know what? I know better now. I'm not sad I did it, but I for a day after that and days and days after that, I thought, and I'd ask people over on the set on a part I was on, did you ever buy got a $100 bottle of wine? And well, the same as me, just, you know, big actors you'd really know and uh, director you'd know. And, uh, and they said, 
No, I did that once, and the story was just the same. You know, I I had had a bunch of uh, martinis, and then uh, I thought, why not? And I got a $100 bottle of wine. Same thing. I did the same thing. I don't mind knowing that. Maybe you know that already, because as you know, we all know, Homer is Homer, Pluto is a planet, and remember, as always... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's still the truest thing I know. Be well. Avoid a $100 bottle of wine. And we'll see you here next time.